You guys can go ahead and be seated. Uh, the comedian Brian Regan did a good job of highlighting a little bit of one of those crazy situations that if you're my age or older, you definitely walked through. I don't know if they still do this to kids, but do you remember the day of the spelling bee in your class as an elementary age student where they're just kind of like, okay, kids, up against the wall, it's time for public humiliation. Like, you know, spell a word wrong in front of your friends and have to sit down. And maybe, maybe you remember that anxiety of that feeling, or maybe you were the smart kid in the class that you're like, I have the whole list mastered. But if you were like me, the spelling bee had a whole other layer of difficulty because I had a serious speech impediment as a child. Like the R sound, the CH sound, the T sound, those were sounds I couldn't make. And so there's, there's fear and anxiety are closely related brother and sister, but fear is like the day before worrying about what, I'm sorry, anxiety is worrying about what will happen. Fear is like the moment. Like anxiety is like, I, I'm worried about what word they will get. And then fear is like the teacher says, okay, Paul, spell rarity. And I'm like, I can't say R's or T's. How could you do this to me? Like, it, th th those moments of anxiety and fear, they're, they're different things. And we navigate them differently. And so much of our anxiety is focused on things that might happen. And I know right now there's a lot of people, it's not just anxiety, it's fear. It's like, I'm in the moment right now and I don't know how God's going to provide. I don't know how God's going to fix this. And whether you're in the moment of anxiety or fear, I want to I share from Scripture with you today from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you have your Bible, you can open up with us. And we're going to be looking at a situation that would cause anxiety in any of us. But before we get into some of the topic, I want to clarify some things. Because so often when we begin to think about anxiety, or even when we're feeling anxious, there is this notion that God must be so disappointed in me because I am experiencing anxiety right now. And I want to let you know that you can look back at the life of Jesus and you will see moments where pressure and anxiety was heavy on his shoulders. In Luke 22, verse 44, it actually says that Jesus was in agony about what was about to happen. He was in a very anxious moment. And he was praying and, he was, and his sweat was falling on the ground like drips of blood. It was so heavy on his shoulders what was about to happen. And anxiety of itself, the feeling in the sense of having anxiety itself, is not sin, but it is a signal that something is going on that needs your attention and your focus. But I think the area that we've made a mistake in is that when we feel anxiety, we run to so many solutions that are not solutions at all. In fact, they are destructive. We will sense anxiety and we will run into isolation from other people who could help us. We will sense anxiety and we will turn to a bottle of alcohol or abusing a substance to relieve the anxiety. And I want to tell you, God is the place where rest is found. Last week we talked about the fact that He is the God of peace. And being in His presence, you will experience that peace that comes with knowing Him and being near Him. And today, I want to just give you a very practical tool, a very practical method to begin to apply in these moments where we sense and we feel anxiety. When anxiety is signaling to us that there's a concern that should be prayed about, there, there's something that should be changed, there's, there's something that should be prepared for. When we sense that signal of anxiety, there's some turns that we, need, we should be able to make. In the kingdom of Judah, in the Old Testament, King Jehoshaphat was reigning, and he 
got news that there was not just one army, but there were multiple armies that had already marched and they were getting ready to take up position against the kingdom of Judah. And they were vastly outnumbered. This was a fight that he knew that he could not win with his armies. And when you're the king and other armies are approaching, you know that you're target number one. And when you know you can't win the fight, can you just begin to put yourself in his shoes for a minute? Where you know your life is about to be on the line. There's about to be a battle that you can't fight, you can't win, and your people are going to suffer, and you very well may be put to death. And this is where he finds himself. A real life or death circumstance. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to be starting at verse 3 and 4, and we'll put this up on the screen. And it says, Jehoshaphat, and I'm reading from the NASB, was afraid. The NIV says alarmed here, and the New Living Translation says terrified. But I want you to be clear that his sense, his anxiety, his fear, it was real. He was afraid, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. So Judah gathered together. The kingdom of Judah came from their city, cities all together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles Chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. When you're afraid, I know that you react differently, and I know that I react differently as well, because I'm a pretty calm-mannered person, but when something slides into that fear category, especially if it's unexpected, I'll specifically say there's been at least one or two times in the last couple years where a frog jumped onto me and I screamed like a little girl, all right? Fear does not excite a rational reaction from most of us, And in fact, you will just go into a default reaction to whatever happens. And I start here because I first of all want to say, if you train yourself, your response to critical and difficult situations will be automatic. And if you've trained yourself to react positively, you will have a beneficial reaction to it. But if you have moved comfortably and casually without thought or without care through the way that you navigate things in your life, That is how you will react to critical situations as well. And so when you begin in the good times, in the easy times, in the great times, reacting to those with praise and prayer to your heavenly Father, when you hit a critical moment, you're going to default to what you always do. But if you go through those as if you've achieved them on your own strength, when you hit a critical time, you will most likely try to depend on your own strength. And so I first of all want to highlight that your reaction to difficult times is being established by what you're doing now. And I believe that's what we see in King Jehoshaphat as well, that when he reached this point where he knew his life was going to be in grave danger soon, he he had this reaction, and I want to make sure you see this in verse 3, because this, this just popped off the page to me as I was studying and preparing for this. And it says that Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. His attention wasn't just set on seeking the Lord, but he was in a moment of fear. He was in a moment of anxiety and worry that was rightful. It, it, it wasn't, he wasn't exaggerating what was going to happen. He, he had good reason to be experiencing fear, terror, anxiety. And what he chose to do in the situation was to turn his attention to seek the Lord. He, he turned where he was going to be. You know, I, I, you know, going back to my childhood as well, uh, I'll say back in the 90s, there was a lot of attention 
put on stop, drop, and roll. I think they expected us to catch on fire way more than we ever did as children in the 90s. But the expectation was that if you found yourself engulfed in flames, rather than trying to outrun them, you should stop, drop, and put the flames out by rolling. Thankfully, I've never had to apply this in my life, but I'm going to tell you, some of you guys have hit some critical, difficult, bad places in life. You've experienced trauma, you've experienced injury to your heart, to your soul, and you have just been like, I'm going to put this out by running and pretending like nothing happened. And just like in the stop, drop, and roll, it's like you've got you've to just stop and, and recognize that the way to solve this is not to get away from it, but it's to stop and deal with it. And right now, if, you're, if your heart has been keeping you up at night because you're so worried about what's happened, if you're so worried about the future, if you're so worried about the job, if there's an anxiety that is keeping you up at night and you're just trying to run through life without stopping and giving this to God, I just want to put the spotlight on it and say, turn your attention. Turn your attention towards God. I understand that all of your worry and your stress is just trying to say, the problem, the problem, the worry, find your solution, stand on your own two feet, deal with it yourself. If you can just get yourself to stop for a minute and give it over to God, it's going to settle a few things. Because first of all, we know that just even as we begin to pray, we recognize the greatness and the majesty and the power of God. And it sets us back on that foundation that God has control over this. We don't have to worry. When we stop in that moment where things are going wrong and we turn our attention towards him, we, we understand the direction and we can hear the direction from God about where we have to go. Now, I, I want to I say it this way because whatever captures your attention, it changes your direction. Whatever captures your attention, whatever controls your attention, that if your attention is only focused on the terrible things that could happen, that is going to keep you moving from to keep you from moving towards any of the solutions that God would provide. And as we as we look towards Him, He is going to provide the way. His word is a lamp to our feet. When we stop and we allow His word to guide us, when we allow His Spirit to guide us, it gives us the steps that we need to take. It's an interesting thing. Uh, a cultural anthropologist was hired. Cultural anthropologists are people who study cultures and, and times, and, and they have really difficult training, I think, because they have to study all of these different languages and cultures and the way that people lived, and, and it's a very scientific, historical field of study to go in. A cultural anthropologist was, was hired, got this great gig, worked for Disney, and had to study toddlers at Disney World. Now, I don't know if that's really your dream job when you become a cultural anthropologist, but he was put into position to study these toddlers at Disney World, and Disney executives wanted to know what captures the attention of a toddler as they walk through our park. Is it the snacks? Is it the Dole Whip? Is it the food? Is it the characters, Doc McStuffins, skipping down the, the, the way? Is it the rides? What is it? And the cultural anthropologist, after spending time studying the, these toddlers, as they came through the park, they said the number one thing that made that toddler's head turn whenever it was around, the thing that they really wanted to get their hands on was their parents' cell phone. <laughs> Sorry if you're a seasoned pass holder, but your kid likes your phone better than Disney World. I know you don't. But for some reason, kids were more captivated by Doc McStuffins on the cell phone than Doc McStuffins standing near them. 
And there's part of us, and maybe it's because we're the ones who slid the card at Disney World and paid for it, that said, that's not the right way to do Disney World. Put the phone away. Enjoy all that it is. It'll just capture your imagination. You're settling for something smaller when you let that little device control your attention when you're at Disney World. Listen, you're settling for something smaller when you let your fear and anxiety control your attention when God has so many bigger things he wants to be doing in your life. And when you focus on the fear, you miss out on seeing the provision. And the thing we know about God is that he is a provider. One of the things we know about God is that he is a good heavenly father who knows how to give good gifts to his children in due time. But our focus, it gets narrowed down to just the thing that we're fearful enough. And I want to tell you, the anxiety signal that you feel, it is a signal that you need. It's healthy to have some of that signal because it shows you where a problem will be and it should kick in our understanding that we need to turn our attention towards God. Dr. Caroline Leaf did, did, a, did a study on the, the human brain and on prayer. And she, it was a very interesting study, she found that if you spent 12 minutes praying each day for eight weeks, there was actually visible evidence of the change that it made in your brain just after eight weeks. It changed the way that people would respond to fear and anxiety. It had positive benefits like that. And so first of all, when you begin to decide, I'm going to turn my attention from the things that are concerning me to, to the God who can actually answer my concerns, when you begin to turn your attention just for 12 minutes a day for eight weeks, it will have physiological changes in your brain to the way you respond to your world that a doctor could see on a brain scan. Bigger than that, it will have changes because of what happens in the kingdom of God, because God actually answers prayers and works on your behalf. It'll have changes because of that as well. And that's good news. God will respond to your prayers no matter what season you're coming out of. He will act and he will work spiritually and physically in your life to change you. That's the good news side of it. But I want to tell you the bad news side of it, the reality and the importance of the way that we direct our thinking is that eight weeks, will eight weeks of thinking a certain way will change your brain. But we need to overcome like 40 years of the wrong style of thinking. Don't we? I mean, the, the concept of neural pathways. Once you think a thought, your brain, the first time you think it, your brain has to make these new connections. But each time you think that way, it gets easier and easier to think that. It's like the road gets more and more carved out. And it's one of the reasons why it can be so difficult to overcome sin. Because you're used to using that when you get anxious. You're used to using that when you get angry. And we have to turn our attention. We have to turn our ways. And I want to tell you, I understand that it's difficult to make those changes. But with God, all things are possible. And if worry has been a stronghold in your life, if anxiety has been something clinical that's happening in your life, I want to tell you, I understand your fight is difficult. But I want to make sure you know that you are not powerless. When anxiety creeps in, you need to make a determination. I need to turn my attention. The word repent in scripture, it means to turn, to, to, to change directions. 
And in the same way, when that worry, when that anxiety creeps in, we need to change the way that we're faced. Jehoshaphat, he was afraid, terrified, alarmed, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. And, and, and Judah gathered around. So just to begin to see the circumstance some more, there, there was this real concern that was happening. And he felt real terror in his heart. But he said, you know what? I'm not just going to stew in my terror. I'm going to turn towards God. I'm going to seek after him. I'm going to invite all of our kingdom that we need to pray and we need to ask God for help. And this is a great template for you when you're experiencing a difficult time. First of all, turn your heart towards God. Second of all, bring people in with you. And this, man, it almost feels un-American because we just want to stand on our own two feet. We want to pull ourselves up from the bootstraps. We don't need anybody else. And those are lies and they are destructive. In the body of Christ, there are all kinds of different gifts and they're all supposed to complement and work together. There are people in our church who are nice because I'm not a very nice person all the time. And I need them here. They're much more fun to say hello to at the front gate. Like, I understand that. I, I, I can't do this. I can't pastor by myself. I can't be a Christian man by myself. And neither can you. You weren't designed to. Ladies, you weren't designed to do this life by yourself. And especially when there is something that shakes the core of your heart, you've got to bring some people around you to pray and ask God to move. You have to continue to set your attention and your mind towards God because whatever you begin to turn yourself to, it changes you towards it. If you are pessimistic and you will only ever see the negative in, thing, in things, the older you get, the grumpier you're going to get because you're going to fall more and more and more to that side. If you're someone who sees the hope and sees the promise of God and people, no matter how destructive of choices they've made in the past, you see the capacity for God to work great miracles in your life, the older you get, the more hopeful you'll get, the more testimonies you'll collect of people that God did incredible things in their life because that's the way that you choose to see it. What you turn your attention to, it continues to change you. And Jehoshaphat, he's rounding people up and he's saying, let's pray and expect God to work. In verse 6, and we'll put this up on the screen, he's, he, he's speaking to the kingdom there that had gathered at the temple. And he, and he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. I mean, this is a great model for you of saying, who is it that reigns on the throne? Like, I have this problem, but I have him in my corner. I might have this fear, but I have the God who can calm the storms standing with me. God has promised that he will never leave me, that he will never forsake me. He has promised that the indwelling presence of Christ will be with me no matter what I face. And so if God is for me, who will stand against me? And Jehoshaphat, I mean, he, he started preaching to the people. He started reminding them of God and his faithfulness, but the answer had not come yet. It's easy for us to look at these situations and say, well, of course he's going to talk that way because God's going to show up. He doesn't yet know if God is going to show up in any way yet, but he does know God and his character. I, I received, a, I mean, the week of the hurricane, my phone was just like nonstop. And I apologize if I did not get back to you, but I had calls from everywhere coming in all the time. People that I you know, went to high school with, people that I went to college with, people that I knew from other states that I did ministry in, and, and just wanted to call. Some of them were so panicked for me 
And they were just like, you know, even when I was a pastor, he's like, man, I, I can't even imagine how hard this would be as a pastor and how hard to be on your congregation. And, you know, with you guys being a portable church, like, how are you guys going to survive this? I'm like, survive this? Like, well, first of all, we launched in a storm, so we already have a playbook for this. We've done this before. And if 60 of us can keep our church moving before we've even had one service, I have no fear that the people that God has given us now are going to be able to do abundantly more than we did in 2017 with Irma when we launched. Like, there, there's no, this is not a time to panic. This is a time to move. This is a time to see God work. This is a time for his church to activate. And so there's not panic here. There's just, there, there's just work that needs to be done, and we're going to do it. And, and so often, it's like some people will inject panic into our life in a difficult situation. And I want to tell you, turn your eyes towards him. If your eyes are on him and on his faithfulness, that even when other people bring panic in, it's not going to touch your heart. When you've been reminding yourself about how good God is, about how he's come through in past times and past generations, that power and might are in his hand, and so no nation can stand against him, then, it, then, then you have that foundation to stand on. But there's that grappling, that wrestling that occurs of what will hold my attention. And this, this is the push today. Who are your eyes on? Are your eyes on your fears or are your eyes on your heavenly Father? And so King Jehoshaphat, he, he puts the praise and he, and he reminds the people of who God is and how powerful he is. And then into verse 9, he says, and this is the interesting thing, this is the in the middle prayer where he believes and he hopes that God is going to show up, but he says in verse 9, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And cry to you in our distress, and you will hear, hear and deliver us. Verse 9. Jehoshaphat kind of threw the marriage vows at God there. He's like, for better or for worse. I mean, it's reminiscent of, of being thrown into the flames and saying, you know, even if God does not deliver, we're not going to praise the idols that you've made. I mean, this is a statement that's made time and time again in Scripture, and it, it's one that should be close to our heart because sometimes God allows us to walk through difficulties. God has not abandoned us because a house gets destroyed. God has not abandoned us because a job left. God has not abandoned us because a person is no longer part of our life. God will still be with you. And there are times where we get to praise him because he delivered us and there will be times where we praise him as we walk through the valley because we know that he will not leave us in the valley. And Jehoshaphat, he, he's praying it down and saying, even if we go through difficult times, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house. That just struck me as I, as I studied this. For your name is in this house. And he's speaking of the temple but we are referred to as the temple of God now. We, our, our body, our life is where the temple of God is now, that his spirit dwells in us and with us. And his name should be on this house. There should be a confidence of saying, I am God's. And so if I walk through difficulty, I'm ready to walk through it with him because I know walking through it with him would be better than good times without him. And his name is on this house. I wonder how much his name is in your house. In your body, in your life, in the words that you say, in the way that you lead your household. I wonder how much his name is in your house. 
And this isn't a guilt thing, but this is a question. This is an awareness thing. Because his name was definitely in the house of the temple. It, it was used for worship. But as for you and your household, do you serve the Lord? It's easy to say that we will in the future, but do you currently? Is your attention toward, turned towards the Lord in your house? Are your eyes set on Him? Is there worship that occurs in your household? Is there studying of the Word that occurs? Do you, do you make decisions based on what will honor God? Uh, one, of, one of the books from a few years back that was very, very significant in my mind and heart was The, the Christian Atheist by Craig Grishel. And it talked about this group of people that maybe you've known or maybe that you've been that in name and church attendance they are Christians, but in practicality, in living, in prayer, in service, they live as if there is no God. They live as if there is no sin. And it's easy to slide into that. And if you have, I just want to call your attention to rise up, to turn your eyes towards a perfectly holy, heavenly Father who calls you to something better, who invites you into fellowship that will fill up your heart with hope and joy to face whatever is ahead of you. Is his name in your house? Jehoshaphat spoke it with, with, with power. And in, in verse 12, he, he continues on and he says, oh, oh, our God, you will not, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is a great prayer. That is a prayer that my heart can get behind because he says, you know, the, the problem I have is bigger than me. It, it's greater than me. And I have no clue what I'm supposed to do. But my eyes are on you, God. And you might be in a position where you don't know the steps that you could take, should take, will take. But I'm going to tell you, if you put yourself in a position where you say, my eyes are set towards the Lord, you're on a strong foundation. And I want to I clarify a couple pieces of this. And band, I'm going to go ahead and have you guys come up because that timer is getting low, even though there's so much more. Next service, we'll get an entirely different message. We'll get the second half of it. Um, when I say our eyes are on God, so often we hear a statement like that and we say, you know, just have, have faith. And it's like almost this escape from reality. But having your eyes set towards God, dealing with your situation through the lens of faith is not an escape from reality, but it's saying that God has given me a responsibility for how I live this life, and I'm going to do it His way. Having your eyes on God is not passive, it's active. It's expecting direction. Here's three things that I'll give you about putting your eyes on God. It's expecting direction from Him. That as I seek Him in prayer, He is going to speak and lead in a specific way, and maybe not a way that I want to go, but having your eyes set towards God is saying, I'm going to listen for your direction. And it's expecting a clear call to action. Having your eyes on God is saying, God is going to give me steps that I need to take. There's an obstacle in front of me and he's going to tell me how to take it. And he gave Jehoshaphat a word. And the word that he gave Jehoshaphat, it, it, was, it was a little bit strange. I'm going to get to that in just a second. And the third thing about having your eyes on God that I, I tell you that this is the move to make church. It's dwelling in his presence. 
His name is in this house, spending time with him, being with him. If we're going to interact with a difficult situation and say we're going to face the situation by keeping our eyes on God, we're going to be expecting direction from him. We're going to expect a call to action. And we're going to expect the need to be in his presence. The need to be hearing from him, not just once, but all the way through this. Because what ended up happening in this passage is as they prayed and he sought the counsel of the other people, a prophet spoke out and said, you have, we have to go out and meet them at the battlefield, even though we're greatly outnumbered. And as he sought counsel from them, this is what they did. They said, okay, our army's too small. We can't win the fight. Their army's too big. They're going to crush us. So what we're going to do is we're going to go out there and we're going to take the worship band and we're going to put them in between us and the other army. Can you imagine how that conversation went? All right, so Aspen, I know you don't have a gun. You have a microphone. But we're going to take you and the, the army that we can't beat, you're going to get in between us. So if anything bad happens, it's going to happen to you first. But before anything else happens, we want you to be leading worship. We want you to be playing instruments. We want to be praising God because this is what we believe. God is going to fight this battle for us. And I don't know who had more faith, him to ask that of his worship team, of the choir, of, of the, the Levites to put them out there, or the Levites to actually go out there and do it. And as they got there, these different armies, they were from, from different areas, different nations. And I, I don't know if somebody gave someone else the stink eye, but what happened is they, as they were running along side each other, fighting broke out between them. And they slayed each other as Judah watched God's provision and protection. As, as, not just as they watched because it's so passive, as they praised. And when they could have been consumed with fear and they could have gone into hiding and they could have run into the caves in the wilderness like other leadership did amongst wars in the Old Testament, they, they turned their eyes towards God and God ordered the steps of their feet. So church, hear me on the need to take action. This is not a passive thing. Put your eyes towards your heavenly father in a way that you expect to hear from him. And maybe this challenge is new to you. Maybe you've never sought after God with the type of prayer where you expect him to answer. And I'm gonna tell you, this is gonna wake you up to a whole new world because your heavenly father cares about you. He cares about your situation, so much so that he sent his son, his one and only son, to die on a cross, to pay for your mistakes, to pay for your sins, so that when you put your faith and your trust in him one day, he could say, I've removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. I've given you new life, even though you've done everything to destroy your life. And when you make that, connect, that confession and that belief in your heart, God will begin to work in your life, not to leave you alone but to write a story, to write a testimony, to write an example to your children and your friends. And if you're in the middle of that fight, if you hear that army moving towards you and it just feels like more than you could ever handle on your own, the action, turn your eyes towards God. If things are difficult right now, turn your eyes towards Him. And He will guide you through. Will you stand with me as I pray and as we go into one last song? Father, I pray for those whose hearts have been troubled. I pray for those who have experienced real loss. 
And there's so many in our congregation, in our community that we just think immediately of that are walking through a difficult day and a difficult time. Would your spirit just be with them in a real way? As they've sought to worship you today and be with the body, would you just bring comfort to them? And as we have have a battle ahead of us, would you just help us to keep our eyes on you so that we know no matter what happens, we know that you are with us, that you have a good plan for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.